gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and Rachel Miller is my co-host. And this week, we are joined by Anne Swindell to talk about her book, The Path to Peace, Experiencing God's Comfort When You're Overwhelmed. And that topic, I think, is going to resonate with a lot of our, our listeners. Uh, we, have li- we have pastors that listen to us, to young moms, to every, every person in between, but we have a large Facebook group with lots of women and um, probably the greatest percentage are you know, younger moms, although I think we have women everywhere from 17 to in their 70s. And it's really nice to have you with us. And before we kind of jump in to talk more specifically about the book, can you share a little bit about yourself and, you know, your background and who you are and why you wrote this book? Yeah, thanks for having me, Colleen and Rachel. I'm so glad to be here. Uh, yeah, my name is Ann Swindell, and I am I wear a lot of different hats, as I'm sure most of us do. I am a mom, a homeschooling mom. I was, as I was saying, I'm kind of shocked that I am, but so thankful to be. I'm a pastor's wife, and I also am the owner and the lead of Writing with Grace, which is a ministry where I teach Christ-centered writing courses to women all across the globe. And then I also write, and I get to write for all sorts of different publications, um, including the Gospel Coalition and Risen Motherhood, Deeply Rooted, uh, Well-Watered Women, some of my favorites. And then I also, this is my second book, so I'm an author as well, and I'm really thankful for the many hats that I wear and keep looking to the Lord for help to do all that well. And then tell us uh, why why you wrote this book. I know, you know, you, you have a lot of personal... Um, kind of stories and things you've been through in the book, but yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, it's interesting because at least in the circles I'm in, there's been a lot of conversations about this concept of peace, especially walking through the pandemic and out of it. 
But I actually started writing this book, The Path to Peace, before the pandemic. And so (laughs) um, it stemmed out of a season in our family's life where we had just gone through some loss. I'd walked through multiple miscarriages. um, And then my husband was actually fired from his pastoral position for speaking the truth. And so we just had kind of different layers of pain. There's lots of other things in there, too, that I share about in the book. But I kind of came to this crux in my walk with the Lord in the middle of just all these different trials and circumstances where I realized that I was dealing with a lot of anxiety and stress and fear. And in my head, I could tell myself, I'm a child of the Lord. I'm walking with Jesus. But it's like I couldn't get my emotions and my mind (laughs) to line up and to figure out how to practically walk in Christ's peace in the midst of all these challenging situations. And I felt like what the Lord did in that season for me as our family was dealing with the stress of uncertain finances and uh, loss of friendships, um, a lot of just tenuous situations, I felt like the Lord was inviting me to study the word and to really seek out how men and women in the Bible were able to walk in God's peace, regardless of what they faced. And so that's what I got to do is I just dove into biblical study of uh, Old Testament and New Testament men and women to see how God met them in their lives and in their wild and woolly circumstances that they didn't choose and how they were able to walk confidently in the peace of God, no matter what was ahead of them. Thank you for writing your book. I really did appreciate uh, you sharing your stories, especially about your own uh, personal experiences, but also uh, in looking at how to um, apply very common situations for us uh, mm-hmm. as Christians in our lives. Uh, I, I really uh, identified with much of what you said in, in your own personal experience. Um, I, you know, 20 years ago, I, I had a, a stillbirth with my firstborn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the, the fear that I went through with, especially with my second after that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and just being constantly on edge. And then also my husband lost his job um, really two years in October and mm. we've been walking through this uh, for almost two years now. And it's been wow. a lot of stress and a lot of change. And, you know, so, you know, when, looking at a book about peace, that's what draw me, drew me to reading it. Um, So one thing I wanted to ask, you know, in reading it, how would you recommend someone use the book? I can imagine there'd be a few different ways that it might be useful. Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's actually, interestingly, something that's come up a lot. Um, But my first thing that I go to, my first kind of reason for writing this book is that I, my hope and prayer is that it's ultimately going to draw readers back to the word of God, that it will be kind of a jumping point, um, an opportunity for them to go to the word themselves. I actually wrote a little like how to read this book near the start of the book. And I, you know, you guys know you're writers. Um, Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of time to write a book, but my heart ultimately is not that someone's going to read my stories and go, oh, I connect with Anne. I do want that. And honestly, Rachel, I'm so glad that that was your connection point. But my ultimate hope is that it's going to point readers to the word where they can connect the most deeply with Christ and with the truth of what God has to give to us. So I start every entry, there are 40 different entries in the book, and I start every one of them with a biblical passage that I hope the reader will actually read and not just kind of glance at. 
And from that place, then engage with, we'll engage with my story and with biblical reflections that are going to enable them to apply the truths of scripture to their everyday lives in the stressful circumstances that they're dealing with. And that's wonderful. I like that, that goal a lot. Um, I think that's definitely one of, one of our goals also. Mm. So I have a, a quote here from your book. It felt like everyone around me had the life I wanted while we were stuck in a cycle of struggle, loss, and hurt. How had this become our life full of transition and trial? I can very, very much uh, relate to this. I dealt with um, a, a lot of health issues and a lot of loss in a short mm-hmm. um, period of time. Lost several people close to me um, that died. And and I, I know what it's like, probably even more so with... Um, my health problems where I look and I think that person is healthy. (laughs) Can I be healthy like they are? Um, And, you know, and even sometimes like I lost my dad recently and you see a friend with their father and, you know, but what are some situations that shaped your path to peace? And let me also say peace has really been kind of a theme in my own life um, you know, going through suffering and, mm. and struggles and difficult times. Yeah. I think it's interesting because biblically peace does come up so much and there's an obvious understanding from the Lord that it's something we crave, right. And something that we desperately need. And um, yeah, Colleen, I mean, I'm just sorry. I mean, the pain that we face and the loss, uh, you know, whether it's health trials or the physical loss of people that we love or relational loss, financial stress. I mean, it's just all of us have dealt with it in different ways. And I'm sure even in the last couple of years, all of us could name multiple things in our lives that have hurt um, and have caused just anxiety and fear. I think for me, you know, I I mentioned a couple of them Um, walking through recurrent miscarriage was something that we had no trouble getting pregnant with our daughter. And so it was very surprising to kind of deal with this secondary infertility that we didn't see coming. And I wrestled with a lot of feelings of like, I should be thankful for the child that I already have. You know, I, I, why am I so upset when I already have a child? Cause I have multiple friends who can't have children, at least not yet. And so, but then I so dearly longed for another child and was praying and weeping and crying out to the Lord And I felt kind of in this tender place of, I don't even know who to talk to. We were kind of in that season of life where most of our friends were having kids at like a very even two-year clip, (laughs) you know, one baby and then a couple years and then a baby. And that was not our story. Uh, We did end up after figuring out some medical issues with me, we were able to have our son, which seemed like and is such a miracle. You know, our kids ended up being almost five years apart, which wasn't the story that we'd planned or hoped for. Um, but has ended up being God's gift to us. Um, but man, the pain and the suffering along the way and the strain on our marriage and the strain in our family was, was real. So that was one of the big situations. I also deal with just a chronic ongoing condition called trichotillomania, which some people have heard of, some people haven't, but it's a hair pulling condition that I've dealt with since I was 11 years old. And so actually I, my first book, I talk about that condition a lot and how just having this recurring struggle where I constantly feel like I'm failing. I don't want to pull out my eyelashes and eyebrows, but 
I do constantly and battling with the Lord, asking him to heal me, not receiving healing now for, you know, over 25 years, that's a tender place where I've had to seek God and try to find how do I walk in peace in this area? That's just a continued unanswered prayer. Um, And yeah, with my husband's job loss, I mean, so many people experienced job loss around the pandemic. Ours came before that, but there just came so much hurt with it because it came out of the church. And so there's a lot of church pain there. We lost most of our friends overnight. Um, We were slandered. Like there were just some, some really hurtful things there where, yeah, these circumstances drove me to say, Lord, I have got to figure out how to walk in your peace or I'm going to crumble under the weight of the things that are in front of me. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, Colleen and Rachel, you guys know that too. Like if we don't figure out how to allow the Holy spirit <laughs> to walk in his peace every day, just can seem overwhelming. Well, you're absolutely right. And, and again, like I, I resonated in several places um, throughout what you wrote um, in the, in the intro, there were several, like I highlighted several, like, Oh, I like, it. Oh, this is, and I just remember going, yeah, it is. Uh, it's always enjoy that when, when a book's like, yeah, mm. I know what you're saying here. This is great. Um, another quote that I wanted to ask you about, uh, you wrote that Jesus knew that the lives of his disciples in every century would be full of fear and tr- trouble and fear, full of trials and tribulations, but he could still confidently offer us his peace. Why? Because peace comes from our souls being at rest in God rather than in our circumstances. Mm. Uh, and love that. It's beautiful. Um, can you expand on that? Like what is peace and where does it come from? Yeah, it's a great question. And this is one I had to work through in the biblical study that I did because, you know, biblically speaking, there are actually multiple different ways that we can define peace. Uh, there's this concept of shalom. There's this concept even of peace between nations or peace between people groups. Um, and I, I want to go on and kind of talk about this circumstantial piece, but I think it's important first and foremost for our own souls and for our listeners to just highlight the biblical concept, first of all, of having peace with God as an umbrella term that's relating to our salvation, right? So we can't have circumstantial uh, daily peace with God if we don't have uh, the peace of God, if we don't have peace with God. Romans 1, uh, 5 verse 1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The peace with God, it's that biblical concept of how Jesus made the way for us to have right relationship with God the Father through his death on the cross, through his conquering resurrection. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so we no longer are God's enemies, right? This is the beautiful peace with God that Christ has given to us when we call on the name of the Lord, when we believe in him for our salvation. But most of us, if we're already walking in Christ, we believe in him. What we're really longing for is this second element of biblical peace, which is what I wrote my book about, which is, as you said, Rachel, this concept of our souls being at rest in God. And this is the peace of God, the peace of Christ. It's the peace that Jesus talks about in John 14, 27, when he says, peace, I leave with you, my peace, I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Um, it's the same type of peace that the Apostle Paul talks about. And I think many of us have heard this verse a million times because 
we pray it in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. You know, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So I think a helpful way for us to think about having this kind of peace, the peace of God, is that having peace means having that soul that is at rest in God. Of course, peace includes emotions of tranquility and harmony and even ease, but more than a passing emotion, more than a fleeting thought, peace means being contented and at rest right where you are because of who God is and because of your relationship with him through Christ. That's the kind of peace that enables us to rest in the promises of God and to rest in who God is, regardless of our circumstances. Now, I, I have um, a recent situation in my life, and um, I won't get into detail about what it is right now, but um, it's, it's not a peaceful situation. Mm-hmm. But it, the amazing thing is that the Lord has given me peace, and it's kind of an amazing experience experience to kind of feel at rest and have Mm. peace. Um, Like you're like, okay, well, this makes no sense. In fact, my son said to me um, in a situation and he said, you're happy and you're at peace. So that has to be the Lord. Mm. You know, he said, cause nothing else makes sense. And um, I have another, another quote. Mm. You say, Years ago, I heard a pastor say that while we often expect life to be a calm sea with an occasional storm, the truth is that life is full of persistent storms with only an occasional calm sea. And uh, Rachel and I go to the same church. Our pastor said something similar. How does that help us to kind of reorient our thinking and our expectations? Because I was thinking um, in regards to that specifically, I think sometimes there's kind of a, a mini prosperity gospel in certain mm. corners of evangelicalism that kind of goes like this. Come to Jesus and your marriage will be okay and your your yeah. job will be better. And and even if, even if it's not in that sort of circles, there's almost this idea like um, people that are promising, come to Jesus and everything's going to be good now. You know, and it, it isn't that way. We aren't promised yeah. that. No, no, we aren't. And I, you know, Jesus was actually very, very clear. I mean, that in this world, you'll have trouble. <laughs> like he was very open and honest with his disciples and those who were with him while he walked the earth would have known from the start. I mean, they were siding with Jesus who was not favored by the religious elite, did not have uh financial power or earthly power in the same way that, you know, they were hoping for maybe militarily or conquering hero type power. And so those who walked with him experienced um, the questions and the confusion and the tribulations and the trials up front. I mean, Jesus said, you know, foxes have, and birds have a place to lay their head, but I don't, his life was constantly on the move, constantly full of pushback. And This is a truth that I've had to personally return to over and over because I agree with you, Colleen. I think especially in American culture and probably the American subculture of evangelical Christianity, it's easy for us to think that life in Jesus should be easy. 
that life in Jesus should be sunshines and rainbows. And so because of that, we see trials and tribulations, storms in life, we see them as problems and as things that should be avoided at all costs. Now, I don't want to, you know, theologically, I don't want to get off base here. Like God is never the author of evil. He is the author of good. And so he wants and longs for good things for us, but good, the way we define it by ease and prosperity is not always a biblical definition of goodness. And so as we are being sanctified and being made more like Christ, we are going to have these troubles that Jesus talked about in this world, you will have trouble. And then we continue the verse, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's what Christ says. He has already made the way for us to the father. He has already provided a path for us to walk in his peace. And so trouble and trials, storms and struggles, these are things we should expect. You know, we should, obviously our flesh doesn't want to deal with them, (laughs) but historically, even this is the way of the saints is trial and struggle, not because Jesus wants our lives to be terrible, but because this world isn't our home. And when we are looking for uh, joy, ultimately from the things right in front of us, we're not going to be satisfied. If we're looking for a perfect life here, we are not going to find it. And we're going to miss out on keeping our eyes fixed on what is to come, you know, not on what is seen, but on the unseen, what's eternal. And so ultimately this world, as we live faithfully, as we respond to the Lord, he's helping to prepare our hearts for our better eternal home where there will be no more storms. There's a day coming when we won't have any more storms or trials to go through, but today isn't that day. And so expecting that life is going to be uncomfortable and even hard, I think sets us up to face those things with more grit and with more expectation that not only is it going to be tough, but also that God is faithful and he will not let us be crushed under the weight of the things that we face. Amen to that. As you're talking about that and the passage there, as well as some others that we've mentioned, God doesn't promise us that life is going to be easy. As we were Mm -hmm. saying, in fact, often he says the opposite, right? You should expect that there's going to be trouble. It's going to be hard. Mm -hmm. Um, In the book you wrote, God's presence is what gives us peace when we come face to face with our fears. Mm -hmm. How does it help ease our fears to know that he is with us in our difficulties? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, when I'm dealing with pain, I don't want to be alone. I might want to not be like bugged, (laughs) but I don't want to be ultimately alone. You know, I don't want to feel like I'm isolated and there's no one I can reach out to. We, we want to know that someone cares about us, that someone is for us, that someone's going to help us and hold up our arms when we can't. And that is who the Holy Spirit is ultimately for us. No, he doesn't promise an, an easy life, but it is his presence with us that gives us the courage and the understanding that uh, we aren't left as orphans. You know, I think the beautiful truth of that, that Jesus didn't ascend to heaven and say, I'll be back when the father determines the time is right. Good luck until then. <laughs> He, he says, no, it's actually better for you if I go away because I'm going to be sending the Holy Spirit and he will teach you, remind you, encourage, equip, comfort you, all these beautiful names that we have for who the Holy Spirit is. 
because we're not left as orphans. We're not left alone. We are given the friend that sticks closer than a brother. So that in not only the hard times, but the good times too, we have the Lord himself with us so that we can face whatever is ahead. And I think part of, for me, learning how to walk in peace has been learning how to better commune with the Holy Spirit of Christ who indwells all believers. And, you know, for me personally, I mean, that's come through many different practices, but obviously being in the word of God, um, singing hymns has become a very precious practice to me of um, just focusing my heart and attention on the Lord. And so many of the old hymns have just scripture, you know, they're just bathed in scripture, Um, recounting the goodness of the Lord and recounting what he has done specifically for our family and the ways that he has upheld us and carried us. Those things, the Holy Spirit gives me encouragement and hope as I lean into some spiritual practices that help me remember who God is and that I'm not facing whatever it is I'm facing alone. And he's never going to forsake me. He'll never leave me or forsake me. He'll never leave you or forsake you if you are in Christ. And that gives us courage and peace. And and I'm sure that you have seen this with the things um, that you went through, but I wouldn't be who I am today if I hadn't been through the things that I've been through. Amen. when you're in the midst of it, it's very hard to see that. I, I've mm-hmm. had my moments where I cried out to God and said, I cannot imagine anything good that can come from this. Yeah. And, and yet I see it. He's, he's faithful every time. So you use the lives of several people from the Bible to illustrate mm-hmm. various aspects of finding peace. And for those listening that, that would like to get the book, she has, um, she has the book in sections. You, you mentioned kind of the 40, 40 chapters, yeah. and then each five has kind of a name. So there's Sarah and Ruth and Moses and Paul, and I, I don't remember the rest off the top of my head. But um, how did you choose these people specifically? And yeah. what are some things you learned writing about them? Mm-hmm. You know, I... It was fun, honestly, in many ways, getting to read and research for this book. And I I wanted to do some Old Testament saints and some New Testament saints um, because I wanted to see, honestly, just part about how to my own curiosity. Like I know, you know, I've read the word. I love the word and praise God, I've grown up with the word my whole life. But looking through the lens of how do they walk in peace? I wanted to see, okay, New Testament, they had Jesus in front of them or they were learning to walk. Uh, by his spirit. And they knew, they already knew the cross and the resurrection, but I was kind of curious, Old Testament saints who did not have, they only had the promise of the Messiah. How did they learn to walk in peace? You know, so part of it was just my own curiosity of wanting to see how this theme played out both in the Old and the New Testament. Um, But then I, in, in part, I just went off of some of the men and women who have impacted me the most personally through uh, my life in the word. And so you know, one of them specifically that comes to mind is Sarah, and she's the first section in the book, but Sarah, the wife of Abraham, or Sarai, as we know her first, the wife of Abram, uh, she was one who kind of surprised me because I hadn't necessarily planned on uh, studying her life. But as I was looking through the Old Testament, I considered writing about uh, Abraham. And then I thought, you know, Sarah's got a story here too. And when we get to Hebrews, she's actually counted as one with great faith. (laughs) So I was like, there's something here I want to dive into about 
Sarah. And um, one thing, this thread that I just kept seeing through Sarah's life that gave me such great hope and encouragement is that she was essentially, um, you know, in her old age already given a brand new path that she didn't choose. And she probably didn't want, you know, Abram comes out of this experience with the Lord, with Yahweh, a God that she's never heard of, doesn't know about. They're living in a pagan land with all these other gods. And all of a sudden her husband comes back and says, I've heard from Yahweh, the Lord, and um, it's time to go. And we're go- and Sarah's like, what are we doing? Where are we going? I don't know. Just pack up. <laughs> and so Sarah is given this whole new calling, this whole new life that she didn't choose And she still has to go. She still has to live this life that she probably didn't plan on or want. And I think so many of us can resonate with our lives are not turning out the way we dreamed about, you know, when we were in elementary school. This was not the plan for our lives that we had. Or maybe the dreams I had for who my spouse was going to be, he's not who I thought he was going to be 10 years, 20 years, 30 years in. My children, maybe they are not what I had hoped for. And I'm struggling with who they are and, and wrestling with, they're not who I want them to be. Maybe I'm not who I thought I would be at, you know, in middle age or in my later years. And so Sarah's life resonated with me because I think all of us can understand that reality of like, this is not the path I chose in life. And yet here I am. What do I do with it? How do I respond to God in the midst of it? And what we see is that Sarah had very limited choices. (laughs) She was a woman in the Old Testament, did not have really many rights at all. And so she just had to go. She had to go. She had to drop everything she knew. And yet on this journey over and over and over, God provides for Sarah, cares for her, protects her. You know, we have this part of her story where Abraham, well, Abram at the time, they're going to Egypt. And he basically says, we have to lie and say, you're my sister. Otherwise they're going to kill me because they want to marry you. So he basically just says, good luck, Sarah, you're probably going to be counted as a concubine and (laughs) doesn't protect her. Doesn't shield her. Doesn't stand up for her. And yet God does for her what her husband should have done. God comes to her side and basically sends a plague on, you know, the leaders in Egypt to And they know it's because of Sarah. God is protecting Sarah. God provides for Sarah. God fulfills his promises to her by giving her a child in her barrenness. And so, and, you know, I could go on and on. Obviously, I'm passionate about this because I have studied this and I love seeing how God just continued to, in her life, and then through all the different men and women that I studied in here, time and time again, God proved himself to be faithful to these men and women. And that is the same God that you and I serve. It is that he is the same today. He is the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we look at the lives of these Old Testament saints, of these New Testament saints, and we see afresh maybe the beautiful characteristics of God and his compassion and his kindness, his mercy, his goodness, his provision, his care, we can see that those aspects of who God is, is it's who he is toward us too. And that, more than anything in my book, is what I hope gives readers confidence and peace as they go to the Word and can say the same God of the saints is the same God who cares for me, loves me, sees me, and is with me. And so I can walk in peace no matter what I'm facing. In reading the section on Hannah, Mm. 
Um, I related a lot with the struggles that we had after we lost our first and, yeah. and then the subsequent struggles and, and her story became very dear to me during that time. Mm. And, and then Ruth as well. And, and with our current um, struggles with my husband having lost his job and yeah. the things that we've been going through and the provision and waiting for God to provide. And um, it, it was just really interesting to see the ways in which, God gives us these stories as encouragement, um, mm. all of them, of course, pointing to Christ, but that encouragement for us as believers. And um, one of the things in, in the that occurred to me as I was reading is that our fears often come from our needs. Like, so we need right. shelter, food, clothing, love. We fear losing our jobs, homes, health, loved ones, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and you write, we must all come face-to-face with our truest reality of being a people who are desperately in need of God's grace. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how uh, grace is our deepest need. Yeah. You know, I felt, even as I wrote that, Rachel, I felt a little like, Ooh, this is a, it was a heavy line for me to write. Cause you know, in some similar circumstances, it doesn't always feel like God's grace is what I really need. It feels like a paycheck is what I really need or, <laughs> Um, friendship is what I really need, or a child is what I really need, you know? And I had to work through this in writing the book and honestly, some days still work through this now. Uh, but I think it's a two pronged answer on my end. Um, first there is, and I, I say this not wanting it to sound cliche because it really is the truest, deepest need of the human heart, right? Is to know Christ and to uh, become unified with him. There's nothing more important than knowing the Lord and walking in his truth and coming to salvation in him. And believing in Christ is the foundation for any other hope or peace in the world. And that is the grace of God to us, to know Christ, to be able to become children of God. And from that identity as children of God, when we experience the grace of God to know him, there is that second reality of when we know that we are. Uh, those who belong to God, when we are his children, that grace gives us a, a, an understanding and this bedrock truth of knowing that we have a father who cares for us, a father in heaven who sees our needs. You know, I, in Matthew 6, Jesus says, he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Um, And he goes on to say, you know, are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? And later he goes to say, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Isn't that the truth? (laughs) Mm. Um, But that is the, when we know the grace of being God's children, then we can experience deeper and deeper as the Lord grows us in understanding our stature as his beloved children, that he will care for us. We don't have to worry about our life, what we're going to eat or drink. He knows, he knows that we need these things. And, you know, I think Colleen, it was you who was saying like, all these situations that we would not choose. And it's hard to say like, God, how could you ever bring anything good out of this? And yet here we are still standing, right? Like we still today, we have food and clothing. We have what we need. 
there's grace for today. And, and I think at least in my own life, as I've continued to grow in the Lord, I am growing in the confidence that my father sees me. He knows what I need. And although it may not be what I want, I can trust him to provide the needs that I have. And and that is a grace. So one of the themes in your book is waiting. And this is something I can very much relate to, even just Mm. very currently, even though I've not been talking about it publicly much I had. I'm in the midst of a, a treatment protocol and it's made me just horribly sick. And oh, the promise so is that I'm going to be better at the end of this, mm. but in the midst of it, it's been awful. It, I, can't, yeah. I can't even tell you how awful it's been really rough. You know, to pick up there, waiting being a theme in, in the book and, and like Colleen was saying, that waiting has been a very much a theme in my life lately as well. Mm. And I'm sure that's true for many of our our listeners. Um, How can we find peace in the waiting? Mm -hmm. That's a a great question. (laughs) And I think I mentioned this before, but my first book, the title of it is actually Still Waiting, Hope for When God Doesn't Give You What You Want. And it's all about this reality that waiting is um, intimately tied up with most of our experiences as humans whatever it is we're waiting for. And it biblically, you know, the saints waited. I often think of Joseph, his years in prison, um, years in darkness. He waited and waited. David waiting for um, God's promise to be the king to come true as he's hiding in caves, you know, and basically out with the outcasts wondering what is God doing? Um, And I think to find peace in waiting, at least for me, it, it means coming to terms with the fact that my hope is ultimately not in anything in particular changing here on earth. My hope is in the person of Jesus. And I mean, that has been immensely painful for me at times to come to terms with the fact that the thing I'm praying for, the thing I'm waiting on, the thing I am begging God to do, unless it's in the word of God, I don't, most of us are not going to have like a clear promise from the Lord that, you know, yeah, I think of the saints like Sarah who had a promise that she would have a child. She could cling to that. But most of us who are struggling with infertility or secondary infertility, we don't have a word from God that says you're guaranteed to have a baby. So in the waiting, in the interim, what, what do we do? We have to, in many ways, lay down those desires, which many times are good, beautiful desires. It's a good desire to want a healthy body. It's a good desire to want a child. It's a good desire to want a spouse. You know, it's a good desire to want to work and have a job. But the only thing we are truly promised in this life is Christ himself and the satisfaction of knowing him. And so, man, I just, I mean, I, I'm getting choked up because I'm thinking of the things that I have had to lay before the Lord, you know, that we have no promise I have no guarantee (laughs) that he will answer many of my prayers here on earth, but I do have the guarantee of his love, of his affection, of his care, of his tenderness toward me. And I think just for anyone listening to remember that you haven't been forgotten in your waiting. Sometimes it can feel so lonely and it can feel so isolating and you can feel like you're the only one (laughs) that God has forgotten to answer a prayer for. 
turn to the word, read these stories of, of Joseph and Hannah and Ruth and uh, Mary Magdalene. They knew what it was like to wait and to not have God answer their prayers the way they wanted to immediately. All of the Old Testament saints, they never saw the Messiah. You know, the word tells us that they were clinging to this promise, and yet they only saw it from a distance. They lived their whole lives following God, not even knowing the Messiah. And so for those of us who are desperately waiting on God to come through in some way, we have this painful, beautiful, sacrificial choice to say, God, I will put my hope not in the thing I want, but in you and in your goodness and in your love. And if that thing never gets answered here on earth, there is a day coming when all things will be made right, when every tear will stop, when every pain will be ended, and when all things will be restored. And that's when every prayer will be answered in the right way, the way that it truly needs to be. And so we ask God to give us an eternal perspective, to give us courage, and to keep putting one foot in front of the other as we wait on him. There's um, a passage, I always forget the exact number of where it is, but it's in Corinthians somewhere, and it talks about how they despaired to the point of death, or that's at least yes. what some versions say. Yes. And that just hit me so hard. Like, they despaired so much that death seems like a better option than continuing yep. on. And mm. and then you get to the the good part of the passage, that they would learn to rely more in the Lord than on themselves. This is not yeah. verbatim of the verse, but that's the idea there. That does Colleen translation. Yeah. <laughs> that just always kind of um stuck with that passage. I, I think about it, think about it often that you know, yeah. really our hope is it with is with the Lord, relying mm-hmm. on him and not on ourselves. Cause often uh, we we think we know better. Like, yeah. Lord, I think it would be better if you did this than what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, man. Um, I think that's a, a human response because we only, you know, the scripture says we see in part, we we see through this mirror dimly. And so with all the knowledge that we have, it sometimes seems maddening. Like, God, if you are a good father, why are you not answering this good prayer? <laughs> why? You know? Right. and. Very rarely, at least in my own life, has God ever answered the why, but he has given me more of himself. And that that has sustained me. Christ has sustained me when none of the questions get answered and none of the prayers get fulfilled the way I want them to. We find that Christ is enough. Well, you've offered some encouragement in, in the last couple of things that you've said, but maybe maybe you have another word of encouragement that you can offer to somebody listening today. Um, mm. You know, I, right now I, I look in our Facebook group is how I really connect with a lot of our listeners and yeah. the amount of things that people are going through. I definitely think the pandemic increased that we have, mm-hmm. we have people that are barely surviving financially. It's very mm. difficult. I mean, just really really struggling. Mm. My, my best friend lost her husband. Um, it'll be a year next month. Just, there's so many things, people that have, you know, lost a parent or a child or a job, you know, that, that are struggling with, um, 
with infertility, or maybe they're single and wondering if they're ever going to meet someone to get married. The the list is endless on the, you know, on the things that people are struggling with. And maybe you could just offer yeah. some encouragement. Mm, yeah. I mean, I think, and maybe I touched on this before, but just to anyone listening, you are not the exception to receiving God's love and experiencing his peace. It's not for just everyone else. And you're the one that has been forgotten or left behind. God sees you. God knows every part of your story. In Christ, you are beloved. You are chosen. And no, most of the questions that we have can't be answered, but Christ himself is with you and you are not forsaken. You are not an orphan. You have not been left alone. The God of the universe loves you and is for you. And that yearning um, that you feel, uh, the whole last chapter of this book is about how do we deal with unfulfilled longings, right? How do we keep going through life with these yearnings for things to be better than they are? Um, And the truth is that if we don't allow our longings and our yearnings to draw us to Christ, the alternative is a life that's full of fear and worry. And God understands those feelings. I'm not saying we can't have those feelings. The Bible's full of men and women who experienced them and the God who met them in it. Um, But we have this opportunity in our achings, in our pain, in our very real sufferings to come to Jesus and to say, I need your help. I'm going to believe your word that you see me. Will you meet me in this place? And help me to trust that I'm not getting cheated out of my best life, but that you, Jesus, are the best of life itself. And that you are the thing that my heart longs for more than anything. Um, so that's my encouragement. And, and along with that, we usually can't do that alone. Most of us, at least me, I do not have the strength to like come to Jesus on my own all the time and to believe that these truths, you know, perfectly all the time. And so community, Christian community, the local church is the hope of the world. It is Christ plan A and there is no plan B. And so if you don't have a church community, this is coming from a woman who has been deeply wounded by the church, but who still deeply loves the church because it is Christ's bride. Pray that God would give you friends who will help you believe and walk in faith and walk in peace. Um, be the friend that reaches out to start a small group or to meet for coffee, because when you can surround yourself and you become that for other friends to speak the truth to them and vice versa, it's a lot easier to walk in Christ's peace when you know that you're not alone. So my encouragement is Jesus is worth it. (laughs) You're not the exception. His peace and his care is for you. And um, ask the Lord to give you a community of friends who will help uphold you to live in the peace that he freely gives. I think that's a great encouragement. Um, thank you, Anne, so much. And to our listeners, I will put a link to the book. And if you have anything else um, that you'd like to link, we'd be happy to link that in our episode notes great. too, so people can follow you. And thank you so much for taking time with us. Yeah, Colleen and Rachel, it was a gift to be here. I appreciate it. <laughs>